Thanks to Warby Parker for supporting Industry Focus. Looking for boutique-quality, stylish eyewear and sunglasses at revolutionary prices? Check out Warby Parker. You can try their frames on for yourself by going to warbyparker.com fool to order your free home try-on kit. Free shipping all around. That's warbyparker.com fool. Lowercase f-o-o-l. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, April 21st, and we're talking about timing the market. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Motley Fool Premium Analyst David Kretzman. David, how's it going? It's going well. It's a Friday, so can't complain. And we've got a listener question to talk about. Yes. And those are those are my favorite episodes. Me, me too. It's a lot of fun, so I'm excited to dive in. So we got a question from Hunter, one of our listeners, a little while back. It took a little bit of time to get back to him, but I think the reward for taking time and waiting is we'll do wind up doing a podcast episode on it. So Sorry, Hunter, but you're finally getting you're finally getting the answer that you asked for. We're coming around. Yeah. So he wrote into the show and he asked, "The stock market seems to be highly overvalued. From what I last read, the long-term average of the P/E ratio of the S&P 500 uh, has been about 15, and now it's over 26. Would now still be a good time to invest during this bull market, or would it be better to sit on some cash and wait for a while and hopefully see that market correction and then invest then?" Um, I love this question, and broadly love getting listener questions because if someone out there is thinking something, chances are there are dozens, hundreds of fools also thinking the same thing. So, Hunter, thanks for writing in. If other people have questions, industryfocus at fool.com. Definitely. Um, let's jump right into it, David. So, so he's talking about market timing, and I think that this is something that's on a lot of people's minds. I mean, if you consume financial news, I think at some point over the past year, you've probably seen something along the lines of. The market is due for a huge correction, right? You've probably been hearing that since 2009, <laughs> right. since the Great Recession. Uh, yeah, and it is a common fear, especially when you've had a multi-year bull market and you have stocks hitting fresh highs on what seems like a pretty regular basis. We haven't had many 10% sell-offs uh, over the past seven years, so it's a good question, and it's something to to keep in mind as an investor. On average, the stock market declines about ten percent every eleven months, or about every year. Then you'll have a bigger, you know, twenty percent, thirty thirty, or thirty percent or more decline every three to five plus years. So, as an investor, you want to expect the market to go down. That's just part of the price you pay as an investor to get historically above average returns with the stock market. But I'll take a contrarian point here. Since we will be talking about you know some of the potentially bearish indicators that yeah going forward right now the the market looks historically uh, a little pricey when you look at the P/E ratio of 26 because um, as you mentioned the historic ratio tends to fall you know closer to to 15 or 16 or 17 the forward P/E ratio for the S&P 500 right now is 18 so that means based on what analysts are expecting the companies in the S&P 500 to earn over the next year. Right now, the market is priced at 18 times those forward earnings. So that shows that expectations are pretty high that growth will continue for the companies in the index. Uh, so, so that's one angle. So, on a forward basis, if these companies can continue to grow, maybe they can grow into the valuation, and you don't necessarily need a big sell off to, to revert back to those historical averages. So, that's one angle. Then, just a couple other things that we're actually going to talk about on uh, Motley Fool Money today as well on our radio show. Uh, the housing market is still below its historical averages. So you're still uh, the the housing market has slowly but surely been recovering since the Great Recession. Uh, but housing starts, which basically means the construction of new homes, is still below the long-term averages going back to 1960. So as millennials now, people between the age of 
18 and 34 in the U.S. They're now the largest demographic in the U.S. ahead of baby boomers now. So, as people our age, Dylan, start to you know get closer to 30, they're thinking, well, maybe I don't want to rent a house anymore. Maybe I want to buy a house or even build a house. That does a lot to spur growth within the economy because there's so much that goes into the purchase and the upgrade and the renovation of a of a house. So that's something that can drive economic growth and spending over the long term. So just a couple of things there that yes, on on the surface level, the market does look pricier than normal, but there are some factors um, that make me think, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna have a huge crash right away. That's not to say that's not gonna happen because as I mentioned before, you you want to be prepared as an investor for some sort of uh, sell-off down down the road. And I think to add to that, you look back over the last year and a half or so, and the market has navigated what I would say are two major shocks to the system. One of them being Brexit, and the other one being the election of Donald Trump. Um, you know, yep. two big surprises that the market really wasn't anticipating, and yet it has weathered it and continued to grow uh, at this really great rate. I will. Lay out the argument for why there's probably a correction coming at some point in the next decade, twenty years, and and kind of what the financial media narrative has been. And uh, for people that aren't familiar, basically the gist of it is um, because of quantitative easing, which is basically the Fed getting money into the economy, making uh, borrowing very cheap. Uh, interest rates have been historically low. They've been historically low for a very long amount of time. Because of those low yields, investors have been pushed uh, into equities because they're looking for better returns. That demand drives up stocks into overvalued territory. That's that's what we see. That's the gist of all of these research notes that are saying the market's overvalued, right? I mean, yep. and so really that that line of thinking totally makes sense to me. Like my my college economics coming back, I totally I totally see the dots connecting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Hunter brings up great points with the data here. Uh, you know, typically S and P five hundred on a trailing basis, the PE is somewhere between ten and twenty. Um, the problem, though, even if you're right with with what your thesis is, when it comes to market timing and deciding, okay, I'm going to wait three months to do anything, or I'm going to sell now because it seems like we're at peaks, is you have to be right not only about the thesis, you have to be right with the timing and when you act on it. And it's really tough to nail both of those things. That it, it's really tough because because there are some interesting dynamics at play, and and it is incredibly difficult to predict where the market is going in the short term. Like you had a lot of experts from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and high-ranking economists who are predicting before Brexit and before the U.S. election that if Britain leaves the EU and if Donald Trump is elected president. There's a very high likelihood that the market will crash, and lo and behold, the market's hitting new highs as a result. And it's also interesting to look at what Warren Buffett has been doing. Who we traditionally see Buffett as, you know, more in that value mode as an investor between the U.S. election of Trump and early February. He was a net buyer of stocks. He invested bought. Uh, over $20 billion worth of stocks, including Apple, which has been an incredible performer in driving a, a good chunk of the returns of the S&P 500 so far this year. So, you know, it, if, if, if a correction was coming, if a crash was coming, Buffett would be the last person I would expect to be buying stocks. He tends to be a more conservative um, investor. But to your point, Dylan, I, I think it's a great um, point with uh, lo- looking at interest rates because interest rates are at historic lows. We haven't really navigated through prolonged periods of such low interest rates because when when you're looking at investments, you have to look at the alternatives. So, okay, if you're not going to invest in stocks right now, where where are you going to invest? U.S. Treasuries right now or bonds are yielding maybe 
two or three percent for low. like ten year treasuries, which is very low. So it's like, okay, that's not very attractive. You can put it in your savings account and earn maybe you know one percent or less if you're lucky. So you have to look at the alternatives. So it's understandable to see why people are looking at the the scope of investment possibilities right now, and they're gravitating towards stocks, even though yeah, they look on average. A, Pricier than than they typically have been, but compared to everything else, that that still looks more attractive. Yeah, and and kind of bringing it back around to some historical examples, um, Hunter's question kind of reminded me of news that was swirling in early 2016, and I'm sure you remember this. There were several big banks. Uh, RBS was one. I think Morgan Stanley was another. They put out research notes in January, and they were basically urging their clients to sell stocks. They're saying, you know, we see these cataclysmic issues coming for the market. Um, and it was again largely due to quantitative easing stuff with the Fed, um, low interest rate environments, and what that does to equities over an extended period of time. There were also some growth concerns with China at the time. And you look at the run that the market's gone on since January 2016. I think it's up about 20 percent. Um, and and I think a couple things that kind of underpin why it's better to stay invested with the unpredictability of the market. Um, there's a ton of volatility out there. Since 1928, this is this is a stat that I love. The S&P 500 has lost 20 percent or more in six years: it's 1930, 1931, 37, 74, 2002, and 2008. Aside from Great Depression years, in the following year of each 20 percent drop, the market has roared back with 25 plus percent returns. So, so the good and bad tend to follow each other very closely. Yep. And if you look at things on an individual basis, as well. Um, JP Morgan puts out this guide to retirement every year, and it's kind of an overview of asset allocation, different strategies, and they also looked at the impact of staying fully invested versus missing certain days in the market. Um, over, I think it was 1996 to 2015, uh, I think it was missing the 40 best days in the market takes your returns negative if you'd been invested in the S&P 500, and six of the 10 best days for the market during that period were within two weeks of the 10 worst days. So, so individually picking and then looking at these individual indicators can be really difficult, and oftentimes the market tends to flip very quickly. So, again, getting to timing, it's it's really difficult to nail that down. Yeah, because if you're hesitant to to buy today, you have to figure out okay, what would make me a buyer of of stocks? Would it be after a ten percent drop? Would it be after a fifteen percent drop, thirty percent drop? What are you waiting for to be a net buyer of stocks? And and Making that kind of timing decision is incredibly difficult. That's why you have great investors like Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch who say, do not do market timing. That's probably the worst thing you can do for your future returns as an investor. Because often, I mean, psychologically, when the market's down 8%, you might think, okay, I'm just going to wait until it's down a little bit more. I'm going to wait for it to recover a little bit. And you just get into these mind games where you're you're just hurting your future returns because making that timing decision, both of when to buy and when to sell, it just raises the probability that you're going to mess up somewhere along the line. And as you've really outlined in a nice way, Dylan, the key is to just be invested through the good and the bad times. And I know later in the show we'll talk about some different ways that you can invest in a way that you're still comfortable and you're sleeping well at night, which is what you should do. But Really, the best thing you can do as an investor, the the main advantages you have, uh, well, here at the Fool, we believe first investing in individual companies. So you have to factor that in. You're not nece- you're not necessarily buying an index fund or buying a whole collection of companies. You're focusing on individual businesses. So as an individual investor, your main advantages are okay. You can try to find and invest in and hold 
the greatest businesses out there. So the Apples, the Alphabets, the the Facebooks, the Amazons, those kind of companies. And then you can also hold for a really long time because on on Wall Street, the average holding period for a stock is now less than six months. Back in 1960, is over eight years. So the the average holding period for a stock today is weeks or months. But as an individual investor, you can say, you know what? I'm just going to tune out that short-term noise. I want to invest in great businesses. I don't care about what's going to happen over the next year or two. I'm I'm more worried. I'm more interested in what what's Amazon or Facebook or Apple going to look like in 10 or 15 years, not what they're going to look like over the next year. So. As an investor, the best thing you can do is just to lengthen your holding period or your time horizon. Our former Fool colleague, Morgan Housel, has done some incredible research on this. Looking back at historical S&P 500 data, going back to 1870, he found that, okay, if if you had held a stock just for, for one year, basically looking at every incremental one-year period going back to 1871, if you just held for one year, it's basically like flipping a coin. One year, you'll be up. One year, you'll be down. So, it's flipping a coin, basically gambling, if you're just trying to predict where things are going to go over the next year. But if you lengthen that out to 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, the odds of you making money at the end of those longer holding periods increases each time. And there's actually been no 20-year period, if you had bought and held the S&P 500 over 20 years, where you lost money. That include, And that's after inflation. So, that includes the Great Depression, includes the Great Recession. So, really, the message there is, the number one best thing you can do as an investor to guarantee higher returns is to lengthen your time horizon. So, And, and you talked about investing in individual companies, and I think that that's something that can kind of get lost in the huge macro stories that we see, is very often, you know, will will something that is a, a sweeping macro issue really impact a company like Facebook? You know, the the fundamentals that underlie the businesses that you're investing in probably aren't touched all that much by something like rising interest rate interest rates. Yes, it will some at least be something that impacts a broad market, but um, you know, they still have the user growth that they have. They still have the the base of advertisers that are happy to put stuff on their platform. Um, so you have to remember that you're investing in the individual business, and and while it's scary that there might be some, you know, rumors circulating about cataclysmic stuff going on in the market, the the fundamentals of that business are really what's underpinning your investment. Definitely, and uh, w- within the Odyssey Two portfolio and Supernova that that I head up with a team of a few other fools, like I, I will admit that we we are having a harder time finding glaring bargains with with individual companies right now, like stocks. Are for the most part more expensive than they typically are. So, you know, your comfort level, <laughs> you you get outside of your comfort level a bit. But we're tasked every month with managing this real money portfolio, and we have to make a purchase every month. So the the approach we take there is again just focusing on the the individual businesses, and we'll build up positions in companies over time. And I, I think in a time like this, you want to build positions in companies that you'll be comfortable adding to if if they're if they go on sale for 20%, if they go down 20 or 30 or 40%, so maybe that's Amazon, maybe it's Alphabet, whatever it is, companies that you feel pretty confident will be around over the next 10, 15 years, companies that are generating strong cash flow, maybe they pay a dividend. Maybe you start with a small position, you say, you know what, I would actually really be happy if I could buy this company for a 30% discount, because you know what, I don't care about, again, where it's going to be in a year or two years, I'm more interested over the next five, 10 plus years. That's a nice teaser for what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show with how investors should maybe think about things during these types of market conditions. So we're going to talk about that in the second half. Before we get over there though, I just want to thank Warby Parker for supporting our podcast. 
Warby Parker makes high-quality, stylish, and affordable glasses that start at only $95, including the prescription lenses. Plus, lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free with their home try-on program. You can order up to five pairs of glasses, have them shipped directly to your door. Try them on in the comfort of your own home, get feedback from your friends, family, colleagues. Keep the frames for five days before you send them back. Of course, it's free using their prepaid return shipping label. No obligation to purchase. When you place an order for the prescription lenses, you'll have them back in your hands within 10 business days. Usually, they even arrive faster than that. For every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. I've actually been a fan of Warby Parker for a long time. I have a pair of their frames for when my eyes get tired at the end of the day. But when they sponsored the show, I decided to try the home try-on experience and see if there are any new frames I liked. And like I say, it was really great. I picked up a couple styles online that came right to the office. They wound up beating the shipping estimates. And I had a little fashion show with Financial's host, Gabby LaPera. She was giving me thumbs up and thumbs down on each pair. Based on her feedback, I think my next pair might be the Durand and Whiskey Tortoise. Listeners, if you want to try out the Warby Parker experience for yourself, just to see how good you look in their frames, go to warbyparker.com fool. You can order your own free home try-on kit with free shipping all around. Be sure to type lowercase f-o-o-l. And if you can't decide on a pair yourself, download the Warby Parker app. It's available on iOS. And create a video of you in your home try-on frames. You can easily share it with friends and family to help you pick out a winner. That's warbyparker.com fool to order your free home try-ons. So, David, we talked about how market timing is hard, and I think that gives a lot of people this impression of like, well, like, what the heck am I supposed to do? The, the market's rich right now. We just talked about that, and um, you know, what, what's our advice for investors here? We teased it a little bit in the first half, but how do you go into these market conditions and think about placing money? You talked about the Odyssey portfolio a little bit. Obviously, you personally invest as well. Yeah, I, I would say on a higher level, you want to invest in a way that you're you're sleeping well at night. You're focusing on the underlying businesses in your portfolio, assuming you're investing in individual stocks, which you probably are if you're listening to this show. Uh, and you're focusing on the long term, and you and investing in such a way that you see a market drop as an opportunity and not something to fear. So, there are a few ways you can go about that. Uh, one of the easier ways is dollar cost averaging, where you say, you know what, every month I'm just going to invest a set amount. Uh, th- this is especially easier if you're, um, you know. At, Working in your life, and you have like a regular stream of income that you're contributing every month or quarter to your portfolio. Just say, you know what? Okay, I granted the market looks a little pricey now, but I'm just going to invest a little bit every month. I'm not going to pay attention to the price uh, too much. I'm just going to find companies that I really like, or maybe an index fund. I'm just going to invest a little bit every month, every quarter, in some sort of increment that makes sense. Another approach that that we use in in Odyssey too uh, is maintain a cash position. So. For some people, it might be 10% of their portfolio. For if you're really conservative and you recognize, you know, if the market goes down 40% or 50%, which probably will happen about every decade or so, you should assume that that's going to happen at some point. Maybe you want 40% of your portfolio in cash, and you're fine recognizing that I might miss out on some of the upside, but I'll sleep a lot better at night and I won't panic when the market drops. So it's really just a matter of evaluating your own. Psychology and psyche as an investor, and you should probably assume that you'll be more scared than you think you'll be, because it's really easy when the market's going up, saying, "Yeah, I got this. Yeah, ten percent drop, bring it on." And then it happens, and you're panicking. You're like, "Oh my gosh, I need to sell, or I'm not going to buy." So you really want to be cautious with your approach. You want to assume that you'll be more more scared than you will be when a market drops, and kind of go in with that assumption, but. 
build your portfolio around the understanding that market drops will happen, but invest in such a way that you won't let those drops get to you, that you'll continue to stay focused on the underlying businesses behind the stocks in your portfolio, because the long-term performance of those businesses is, in the end, what will drive the performance of those stocks. If a recession comes or a market crash comes, it doesn't matter how great the business is. Every Just about every stock is going to get hit a good amount. That's what happened in the Great Recession. You had Great businesses like Starbucks, like it's coffee, it's not going anywhere, but still the stock got hammered. Um, so, again, you just want to invest in a way that you're, you're focusing on those underlying businesses, the long term performance of those businesses, staying focused on the long term as an investor, and, and just sleeping well at night. Yeah, I think kind of regardless of market conditions, it's always good to have a little cash on the side because even in a raging bull market, if you have you know a stock that you really love that reports kind of iffy earnings because of some maybe one-off charges or something like that, and the market reacts poorly and shoots it down maybe seven percent or something, uh, that might be a good buying opportunity. And and I know Christine Hargis, the healthcare host, did an episode a little while back on the importance of having a watch list and and some cash just kind of on the side so that as opportunities come up, you you have the flexibility to act on them. So I, I think that's definitely. One thing to keep in mind. I think another thing with investing is, yes, it's it's a bull market right now. But when you're when you're buying shares, I I think a next level investing type thing is you're buying kind of bits of shares, right? Mm-hmm. And you 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 don't want to buy your whole position in one big transaction. You want to kind of slowly build to the position that you want, and that gets at that dollar cost averaging. So if you want to eventually hold, you know, we'll say three thousand dollars worth of Facebook stock as it you know is currently valued, maybe you invest a thousand now. You know, a thousand in a couple months, and then a thousand later in 2017, so that you get that nice blended average of cost, and you know you're less susceptible to one really high point in the market and one really high point for Facebook stock. Yeah, d- diversification uh, is really key on a lot of different levels. First, you you want to diversify your portfolio across different companies that that you're comfortable, you believe in over the long term, but. What dollar cost averaging does, it diversifies you across time. Because if, if say if, if someone started investing, you know, in late two thousand seven or something like that, they have a pretty bad perception of the stock market. Like, man, this stinks. Like, why <laughs> does anyone do this? On the other hand, if you start investing in March two thousand nine, you're like, man, this stock market is awesome. Why this is so easy? Why isn't it this is shooting fish in a barrel? But if you can um, diversify over time and kind of ease into your uh, the positions in your portfolio over time, that way you you have less risk as far as time exposure. So we we commonly think about diversification across the businesses or stocks in the portfolio, but you also want to think about diversification in terms of time. And dollar cost averaging is definitely one way to do that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And maybe to we can't provide personal advice to Hunter, but I think someone in Hunter's position where maybe you're relatively new to investing, you have some cash that you're interested in, maybe it's slowly start to take bites and and kind of get a better understanding of the businesses you're investing in and maintain some cash position so that as there are deals that come available in the market because of you know minor dips here and there, you have the opportunity to continue to act on them. Definitely, yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, and I know I've been repeating myself a lot this episode, but it's just such a key point. You you just want to set up your portfolio in a way again that you see a drop as an opportunity, not something to fear, because the drops are inevitable. Like the this bull market could continue for the next three years. We could have a twenty percent drop next month. Like no one really knows. Like again, even the experts, they got Brexit and and. And the U.S. election totally wrong, you know, uh, and, and that was like a consensus expert opinion. It, w- it wasn't uh, controversial what they were predicting. So, 
just assume and understand that a drop will come at some point. It could be next month. It could be five years from now. But invest in such a way that you, when that drop comes, you see it as an opportunity and not as a reason to succumb to fear. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point to end on. Uh, David, thanks for hopping on the show. Anytime, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. Like I said, I love getting those questions for episodes. You can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus as well. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For David Kretzman, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.